Everything we read from Genesis to Revelation is the Word of God. Pastor Ed Taylor provides compelling evidence to support that claim. Next. We believe that the Bible is the very Word of God rather than believing what many do today, that the Bible merely contains the Word of God. That's a dangerous distinction that needs to be brought out. Because those that believe that the Bible contains the Word of God simply believe that you can go to the Bible and find God's Word in it somewhere. But we believe that every word is intended by God to teach us and to lead us, not that just it contains the Word of God and we can pick and choose what's from God and what's not from God. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You We read and study the Bible each and every day here at Abounding Grace, but how do we know it's reliable? It's the truth, and it's from God. Well, today, Pastor Ed Taylor will answer that for us. We'll discover that Jesus trusted the Bible, and we can too. We'll be in John chapter 13. Here's Pastor Ed with part two of Why You Can Trust Your Bible. We're going to be all throughout the Bible today, all throughout the New Testament, but let's start in Matthew chapter four. As we embark on a Bible study I've entitled, Why You Can Trust Your Bible, Part 2. And then the subtitle is, Jesus Did. Jesus Trusted the Word of God. We learned last time that the Bible is trustworthy, or that the Bible is worthy of our trust. It's an amazingly miraculous book that God himself wrote through the agency of holy men that has been passed down to us. We learned last week that the Bible is inspired Literally, that God breathed forth his word through holy men of God that were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We learned that the Bible consists of 66 separate books written by 40 different authors over a span of 15 to 1600 years. They were not just separated by 1600 years, but they were also separated by three different continents and three different languages. And yet, in all that separation, there's not one contradiction in the Scriptures. And I know that's a big, that, that's a big response to people. Oh, I don't really believe in the Bible because it's filled with contradictions. And remember, take a Bible with you, and when that comes up and they go, well, I don't believe the Bible because it's full of contradictions, just turn it around and hand it to them and say, show me one. Well, well, you know, I, I Googled that. I really don't know. I can't find any. I didn't read the Bible. And it might be a challenge to get them to read the Scriptures, we learned last time that there are challenging things in the Scriptures, for sure. But you would expect that from a book that's written from God. You would expect our minds not being able to comprehend all the things that God has and knows. And there are some challenging things and things that can be easily explained, but no contradictions. Rather, instead of contradictions, there's one unifying theme and that is God's love for man and his salvation available through Jesus Christ. And even though the Bible is under attack today, it has and continues to stand the test of time. Remember in Genesis, 
In the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you read, we read at least 11 times, God said, God said, God said. Then in chapter 3, the devil comes along, and the devil says, has indeed God said. The questioning of the Bible began in the very Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, and it continues on to this day, but it has stood the test of time. We learned there were four pieces of evidence that we looked at last week. Remember the word was maps, and the M stand for, stood for the manuscript evidence. We learned about that. The A stands for archaeological evidence. We learned about that. The P stands for predictive prophecy or the prophetic evidence of the scriptures. And the S stood for the statistical probability of all these things being true. And it's an amazing thing. We learned that the Bible is divine in origin. It is not a man-centered book, but it is a God-centered book. Today, we look at it even greater evidence. Actually, I believe this is the greatest evidence that you and I, we can trust the Bible that's in our hands. That the Bible we hold in our hands and the translation that we have is an accurate representation of the original autographs. We believe in the plenary inspiration of the scriptures. And remember that word plenary means complete and total. We believe that the Bible is the very word of God rather than believing what many do today, that the Bible merely contains the word of God. That's a dangerous distinction that needs to be brought out because those that believe that the Bible contains the word of God simply believe that you can go to the Bible and find God's word in it somewhere. But we believe that every word is intended by God to teach us and to lead us not that just it contains the Word of God and we can pick and choose what's from God and what's not from God. The evidence for this comes from Jesus himself. Jesus believed the Bible and taught it to others. It was the foundation of his ministry. Jesus himself is declared to be the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the author of the Scriptures. Now remember when Jesus was teaching, the New Testament did not exist yet. So when Jesus speaks of the scriptures, he's primarily speaking of the Old Testament. The Old Testament that existed in the time of Jesus, the Old Testament that we have today. However, since the apostolic writings that we know as the New Testament are equal with the Old Testament, Jesus is indirectly affirming the entirety of the scriptures as well. And we'll see that he predicted that the New Testament would be inspired of the scriptures, inspired by, of the Spirit himself. We'll see that in our Bible study today. Jesus has proven not only to be a credible witness, but a messenger from God, literally God in human flesh. In all of his teachings, Jesus referred to the divine authority of the Old Testament no less than 78 times. And there's probably more if you search. 26 times alone in the first five books of the Old Testament, which we know today as the Pentateuch. He quoted from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He quoted from Psalms and Proverbs and Isaiah and Jeremiah. He quoted from Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Amos, Jonah, Micah, and Malachi. When Jesus taught, he referred to the Old Testament as, and I quote, the Scriptures. He also referred to the entirety of the Old Testament as the Word of God. He referred to the Old Testament as the wisdom of God. And so today, we want to learn what Jesus thought and taught about the authority, reliability, and the truthfulness of the Bible. Because in all the debates that we may get into, and there are many, unfortunately, as you're sharing the gospel with people, and there's always a reason why they don't believe, 
inevitably, they're going to begin to undermine the very scriptures that you believe in. They're going to, I don't believe that, and that's not true. And unfortunately, many are ill-equipped to answer the most simple objections to the scripture, where they're, I don't believe the Bible was just written by men. But we learned it was written by men inspired of God. It couldn't possibly be written by these men around a campfire trying to figure out what, I mean, over 1,500 years, the Bible, from Genesis to the very end, was written 1,500 years And we learned how difficult it would be if just 10 of us were looking at the same thing at the same time in the same place for us to write down our observations and not contradict each other. But today, even greater, what did Jesus believe? Because arguments with the scriptures really are not in the realm of science and higher criticism. They're really with Jesus Christ himself. So if you're taking those, let's go through a couple lists. Number one, Jesus affirmed the Bible's authority and origin. He affirmed and taught it. Over and over again, Jesus declares, it is written. You're in Matthew chapter 4. Notice with me in verse 4. Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy. That's a quotation from Deuteronomy. Verse 7. It is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Verse 10. Away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. I mean, Jesus appeals to the scriptures when confronted with challenges. He says, this is what it says. It is written. What is he referring to? The Old Testament. He's referring to the scriptures. The validity and the authority of his speaking is coming from the scriptures. He believes in the divine authority that it is written representing God's heart on the matter. Number two. Jesus believed in the Bible's eternality. Notice with me, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus believed the Bible's eternality. He says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away, Jesus says. He believes in the Bible's eternality. And we emphasize here at Calvary to spend your life on those things that matter, to invest your life in that which is eternal. And we learn from the scriptures there are only two things that will pass from this earth into eternity, and that's the souls of men and the word of God. And you will not waste your time if you invest your life in serving the souls of men and sharing the word of God. Number three. Jesus believed in the Bible's historicity or that the Bible was historically accurate. He appeals to the scriptures to place a time stamp and affirm a time stamp that the Bible's already spoken of. Turn over to Matthew chapter 12. This is one of those passages that we're going to use in a couple different ways. But Jesus affirms and believes and taught in the Bible's historicity that it contains historical facts of people and times and places And he does so here when he refers back in verse 40 to Jonah, where he says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish. So not only does he affirm Jonah, but he also affirms the time frame that is mentioned in the scriptures. As Jonah was in the belly of a great fish, uh, three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now this is a very important quotation because he is using a historical fact recorded in the scriptures to also predictively prophesy his own death and resurrection. 
In order for his own death and resurrection to be true, the history that it's based upon must be also true. And of course, we know them both to be true as they both come to pass. In Matthew chapter 24, you can just jot it down, he also refers back to the days of Noah, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus affirms the history and the accuracy of the Scriptures. Number four, Jesus believed in the Bible's divine inspiration and origin, that the Bible came from God and not man. Notice with me Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus believed in the Bible's divine inspiration and that origin is from God and not man. Matthew chapter 22, verse 43. After quoting Psalm 118, he says, Therefore, actually, he quoted Psalm 118 in chapter 21. Chapter 22 is... And he said to them, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. That also is Psalm 110. He's quoting from the Psalms. He says that the, the key phrase in verse 43 is, how then, Dave, how then does David in the Spirit? And then he quotes a scripture which puts David, when he's writing, in the Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, when he's writing the Psalms. And Jesus is saying, hey, this is not divine. I mean, this is not human in origin. The Bible is divine in origin, inspired by God. Number five, Jesus believed in the Bible's spiritual clarity. You don't need to go anywhere for this. It's the very next verse, verse 45. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare question him anymore. And you go, wait a minute, Ed. It doesn't sound very clear. It doesn't sound like they understood it. But Jesus is making a point. The point that Jesus is making, and he makes it in other places, is you guys that spend your whole life studying the word, you guys that are in the Bible, you wake up in the morning studying the Bible, you spend all day studying the Bible, you go to bed with the Bible and the scriptures on your lips. The Bible is clear. Why don't you see it? It's clear. And so much in the Bible is clear and easy to understand. We hear a lot about difficulties in the Bible, and I don't understand the Bible. And a lot of people will say, I don't read the Bible because I don't understand it. But often the opposite is true. I find that people don't read the Bible because they do understand it. Because so much in the Bible is crystal clear. For example, one of the overarching themes within the Scriptures is man's separation from their Creator. And they're separated, you and I, because of sin. Sin, that, that great act of defiance in the face of a holy God. Unwilling to be perfect. The Bible says it this way in more than one place. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, that's an easily understandable English or in any language, Greek, Hebrew, however you want to read it. It's a very understandable statement. We've all sinned. That covers all of us. The Bible declares that we're in sin. Now, you may not like the word sin. You may refer, I'm sure if you look in your life over the years, and maybe you're not looking for sin, but I say, well, if you, over your, in the course of your life, have you ever made a mistake? Oh, well, of course, Ed, I've made a mistake. Have you ever made a serious mistake? Yes, I've made many serious mistakes. Have you ever made a mistake? Do you think that if there really was a God, he wouldn't be pleased with? Oh, yes, I've made mistakes that if there was a God, I wouldn't be pleased with. Well, I'm glad that you would say that because what you call mistake, God calls sin. It's the same category. 
Except that mistake makes it sound like it's not that big a deal. Sin really brings out the weight of the issue in your life. And because the Bible says that we've all sinned, that puts all of us guilty before God. And yet at the same time, man's greatest need, the forgiveness of sin, the removal of the penalty of sin, actually is matched by God's greatest deed. And that's the sinning of his own son, Jesus Christ, to die. I mean, you read through the scriptures and you see Jesus described as being beaten and hanging on a cross. That's not hard to understand. Most people don't read the Bible because it places a moral obligation upon you. An obligation that's higher than your own thinking and your own personal morality. And the truth is today that God, the good news is that the Bible declares to you that if you turn your life away from sin and embrace Jesus as your Savior, you will be saved. Your sins will be forgiven. The guilt and shame will be removed. You can have an eternity promised to you by God himself forever with him. Or you can settle with the low type of living that exists on this earth in denial of God and gain the request that you have for all eternity to live separate from God. Jesus believed in the scriptures that it was spiritually clear. And I want you to know today that the love of God is spiritually clear. You're surrounded with people that love you and care for you. And they even take it to another level because of their love of God. Now they love you with the love of God. And how can we not look at the cross and think, man, what great sacrifice on our part. The Bible is spiritually clear. And today, if you respond to the clarity of the scriptures, you too will be saved, like so many of us have gone before you. Number six, Jesus believed in the Bible's infallibility. Turn over to John chapter 10, would you? John chapter 10. Jesus believed in the Bible's infallibility. The Bible can, is true, not filled with errors. And we find this in the teaching of Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 35. Something that we've studied together already as a church family. But he says in verse 35, if he called them gods, again a reference to the Psalms, he's quoting the Old Testament scriptures, to whom the word of God came, and here's the key, the scripture that cannot be broken. Why can't it be broken? Because it's absolutely true. The scripture cannot be broken. And Jesus says that very clearly. He says, if the scripture can't be broken, then why do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world? You are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God. It can't be broken. It's infallible. Not only that, number seven, turn over to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Jesus believed in the Bible's supremacy. This is very important. Jesus believed that life should be based upon the scriptures and not man's tradition. Jesus believed that Life should be based upon the scriptures and not religious tradition. When religious tradition comes up against the Bible, the Bible, the scriptures are to always be chosen. Now, I know some of you have been raised in a religious tradition, in a church that much has been said about their traditions. And when something is brought up from the scriptures, many times the answer from those in authority is that, but tradition says... Jesus is going to teach us that when it comes between tradition and the Bible, the Bible is true and the traditions of man are not. Notice with me in Matthew chapter 15, pick up with me in verse 3. Matthew 15, verse 3. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? That is still happening today, where there are things going on in the name of God 
that are simply tradition, that are contrary to the Bible, that are against the Scriptures. And he says, here's what they did. For God commanded, saying, and notice he's referring to the Scriptures as a command of God, not men. Another Scripture. You'll notice, as you look for these things now, you'll notice them in the life of Jesus. He is saying that God commanded in the Scriptures, that he inspired them, that these are the words of God. And so God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, so here's what God commanded, but now this is what you say. Whoever says to his father or mother, whatever prophet you might have received from me has been dedicated to the temple, is released from honoring his father or mother. They found a way not to take care of their mom and dad. They found a way, they found a convenient technicality or created a tradition where they didn't have to honor their mother and father. And Jesus is flatly condemning them for that. He says in verse 6, Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by what? Your tradition. The Bible is supreme in our life and in our practice. The Bible is supreme. And then in verse 7, he calls them hypocrites. And how does he substantiate their hypocrisy? By quoting Isaiah, the scriptures. The Bible is supreme. Number 7, excuse me, number 8. Jesus believed in the Bible's inerrancy. Let me read these to you. Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Why were they in error? Because they didn't know the truth of the scriptures. Neither did they have any connection with the power of God. That's Matthew chapter 22, verse 29. And again, Jesus said to the Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Inerrancy means to be without error. The Bible is without error. Why? Because it is truth. John 17, verse 17. The Bible is wholly true without any error. Number nine. Turn over to Luke chapter 24. Another passage we'll use in a couple different ways. But notice with me Luke chapter 24, verse 27. Jesus believed and taught that the Bible contained the gospel message. And he actually uses the scriptures to share the gospel with these two men on the road to Emmaus. These two men that were discouraged, that were hopeless. In Luke chapter 24, verse 27, the Bible says this, and beginning at Moses, which is a reference to Genesis, Exodus, the beginning of the book, the Pentateuch, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That the entirety of the Old Testament had the gospel message in it, as we've learned before, the scarlet cord of redemption is throughout every book in the Old Testament. I mean, wouldn't that, script, wouldn't that message from Jesus in Luke 24, wouldn't that be cool to have on MP3, you know, to be when you're walking around the park or on the treadmill, listening to Jesus Christ teach from the Old Testament everywhere where he was mentioned, where he was prophesied, where it was, man, that would be a powerful message. Now, in the day, we used to say, wouldn't you like to have that tape? But we don't have tapes anymore, and CDs are heading out, so now it has to be MP3 and just be sent through, through your little iPod, through your iPhone, through your device that you deliver things to your head to say, oh my, wouldn't it be awesome to watch that video of Jesus teaching through the entirety of the Old Testament everywhere it spoke of him? It would be mind-blowing. It would be amazing. Jesus believed that the Bible, the Old Testament scriptures, contained the gospel message. And then finally, number 10. Number 10, Jesus believed in the divine authority of the New Testament to come. And he predicted that it would come. 
Thanks for joining us today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. You'll find us on the web at AboundingGraceRadio.com. It's there you can replay any program you enjoy. We've also made it super easy to donate to the ministry through our website and contact us, too. Speaking of which, we'd sure like to hear from you. Let us know what you think of our current study and if you're finding these daily studies helpful to your walk. We'd also very much appreciate your support as we present Abounding Grace here over the radio and Internet. Again, go to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Today, we want to suggest a book that can help take your prayer life up to the next level. It's E.M. Bounds on Prayer. These reflections on prayer have been treasured for well over a hundred years. When you read about the powerful ways God works through prayer, you'll understand why this book has been so well-received. We'll send you a copy of E.M. Bounds on Prayer as our thank you for your donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Just call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's toll-free, 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it through our e-store at calvaryco.store. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you next time. And may God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.